there's a reason that we who live on the uppermost third of our planet Earth reflect on death and dying in October and November. Death is simply unavoidable. As the trees lose their leaves and plants shrivel and turn brown, we are struck with the beauty of the season and by its undeniable march toward winter. Yes, winter is very much coming. Autumn, we know, is life en route to death, says Robert Weston. He says the asters are but harbingers of frost. The trees flaunting their colors at the sky at other times will follow where the leaves have fallen, and so shall we. He's right. Each of us will die, some sooner and some later. But each of us is headed for the place that Mary Oliver so lovingly refers to as that cottage of darkness. Not a single one of us knows how many more days they have alive on the earth, and thank goodness for that, for if we knew how long we would live, we would surely do nothing but argue with death. Any of you who have ever attended a memorial service I have done know that at some point in the pastoral prayer I will turn our attention from remembering the dead to living life to the fullest. I will give thanks for the ways the deceased was kind and generous and loving, and then I will pray for we the living, that we might be kind and generous and loving too. The switch is intentional. I know what I'm doing. Like Mary Oliver, I can only think of death in metaphorical terms. I do not know what awaits me beyond this life, but I have faith that it is nothing bad. In this regard, I am a universalist through and through. But what will it be like, that cottage of darkness, wonders Oliver, and I wonder too. What will it be like to be gone but not forgotten? What will it be like to be beyond the pale but still fresh in the minds of those who love me? What will it be like to enter eternity but live on in the tears of the living? So when I switch the prayer over from keeping our loved ones alive in our memory, I do the one thing that I know that I can do as one of the living. I can remember the dead and try to do the good things in life that they would have wanted me to do. I hope you all got to see last year's runaway hit children's movie, Coco. I missed it in the theater and chose to watch it on a transatlantic flight on my way home from Transylvania. That was a big mistake. This movie will leave you a weeping mess, a puddle of tears on the floor. The poor Lufthansa flight attendant who got me extra tissues must have thought there was a death in my own family. But it was just a movie for crying out loud. Sometimes it builds up, you know what I mean? 
said in Mexico, Coco falls, follows 12-year-old Miguel through his family's Dia de los Muertos celebration with his aging great-grandmother. In the movie, she is so close to death herself that she has no trouble communicating on both sides of the veil. After Miguel accidentally winds up in the land of the dead, and I won't spoil it for you if you haven't seen it yet, the viewers are taken on a fantastic trip that culminates in the All Souls celebration in the cemetery. One of the main themes of the movie is how the dead must be remembered by the living in order not to vanish entirely. The stories families tell and the mementos they put on their Day of the Dead altars keep the dead alive. All the skeletons in Coco know one day they will pass into obscurity too. But family can postpone that inevitability for a long, long time. As I drenched myself in tears somewhere high above the Atlantic Ocean that evening, I was flooded with memories of my grandmothers and my grandfather. I remembered my aunts and uncles who have died. I even brought up an image of my great-grandmother on whose bony lap I remember sitting as a three-year-old child. Friends who have died crowded into my thoughts. So many congregants I have loved many of whose memorial services I have performed, gathered around the cramped quarters of row 63, seat F. In my mind, they were not dead at all. And Coco reassured me that this need not change. The theological challenge autumn brings us each year asks us to hold fast to the memory of the dead while not neglecting life ourselves. We all know people who have lost someone and are never right again. Maybe we are one of those people. We all know people who have failed to make amends until it was too late. Maybe we are one of those people. We all know people who would rather return to a time in the past when duty and responsibility fell to older generations, and maybe we are one of those people. It's hard to have a grandparent or a parent die. It is sad to lose a spouse. It is lonely to have buried the last of the generation before us, knowing that we are now the elders can be comforting to think of those that we have lost. It can be reassuring to talk to them, if only in our minds, but there is no getting around the fact that they have died and we have not. There's no getting around the fact that we are expected to live. In northern Cameroon in Africa, Many people keep a jar representing their ancestors in a prominent place in the, in the household. The word for this jar is pra. The pra indicates the continuing life of those who have gone before. 
the deceased members of the family and the wider community whose lives are still being expressed in and through the living. And other cultures have similar customs. Kawami Bediako is a Presbyterian from Ghana who knows about revering the ancestors by the practice of his own people, the Akan. For the Akan, ancestors act as binding agents within and between communities, living and dead. Ancestors are those whose lives shape the moral community of those who come after them. After death, they go to the house of God where they continue to act. They reward the upright, punish wrongdoers, assist with harvests, and assure the continuity of the people by bestowing children. For we Unitarian Universalists, we don't really have these jars of straw, nor do we imagine the dead are somewhere rewarding us or punishing us. But we understand what these African religions are getting at. We understand what it means to be guided by the thoughts and actions of our forebears. We understand what it means to act as a part of an ongoing community, a community made up of the many generations that have gone before and the many generations that will come after. We understand the cycle of life and death that carries all living things from morning to night. Autumn, we know, is life and route to death, Robert Weston reminds us. The asters are but harbingers of frost. The trees flaunting their colors at the sky and other times will follow where the leaves have fallen, and so shall we. But then he goes on to say, yet other lives will come. So may we know, accept, embrace the mystery of life we hold a while, nor mourn that it outgrows each separate self, but still rejoice that we may have our day, lift high our colors to the sky, and give in our time fresh glory to the earth. Let us be assured by our faith that life goes on and we with it. Let us be reminded to do what we can as long as we can. And let us always remember that there is a love holding everything. A love that extends in all directions, encompassing all who have lived and all who will live. Let us rest in this love. So be it.